podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I'm flying solo, but I have three parts for you on today's episode. In part one, I'll review our first loss of the season, which was at the hands of Inter on Sunday. In part two, I'll review our latest Primavera match, which was against Torino also on Sunday. And in part three, I'll preview our Europa League match against Spartak Moscow on Wednesday. So let's start with our match against Inter, which we lost 3-2. Piotr Zelensky opened the scoring in the 17th minute, then Inter scored three straight goals, first a penalty taken by Hakan Chalanoglu. Ivan Perisic put Inter ahead just before the break, and Lautaro Martinez added the third in the 61st minute. Dries Mertens pulled one back just minutes after coming off the bench, but Inter were able to hold on for the win. Losing our first match of the season was tough, but given how the match played out, which I'll get to in a second, I think most Napoli fans would have accepted the defeat and moved on. The match was played in Milano, which was a real home advantage with Napoli supporters not being permitted to travel, we're still 4 points clear of Inter, and because Milan also lost, we're still top of the table. However, we didn't just lose the match, we also lost two of our most important players. First, in the 51st minute, Victor Osiman was involved in a nasty head-to-head collision with Milan Skriniar. Both players went down, but Victor definitely got the worst of it. You could see he was legitimately in a lot of pain. This wasn't a situation where a player is just rolling around to get a decision. Somehow, he was able to walk off the pitch without any assistance, but you could see almost a dent in his face and a lot of swelling around his eye. Victor's friend Oma Akatuba was the first to report on Victor's condition, and it was not good at all. He said Victor suffered multiple displaced fractures of the left orbital, which is the eye socket, and the cheekbone. Oma also reported that Victor would undergo surgery on Monday. From what we've read, the initial plan was that Victor would have had the surgery in Milano. Then on Monday, the club reported that Victor would return to Napoli Monday evening, remain under supervision, and then would have the surgery on Tuesday. The surgery was completed by Giampaolo Tartaro with the assistance of Dr. Mario Santagata and under the supervision of the club's healthcare manager, Dr. Rafael Canonico. Tartaro said it was a difficult surgery that took four and a half hours to complete. He said the surgery involved the tissues, the muscles, the nerves, and arteries, and that he had to use five metal plates and 16 screws to hold them together. Tartaro said it's hard to say how long the recovery will be. It depends on how his body reacts. He added that this is just the start of the process and that there could be another surgery in the future. After the surgery, the club announced that Victor will be out for three months. So first and foremost, we wish Victor a speedy recovery because at times like this, a player's health always comes ahead of football. Victor has had just rotten luck between his shoulder injury and COVID last season and now this. Everything I've read or heard about him, including Koulibaly's interview with Dileta Leota on the zone, suggests that he's a really good kid and he certainly doesn't deserve to be suffering from all these injuries. So again, we wish Victor all the best. 
As far as the football goes, even if he was out for only a month, that would take you to the winter break. Victor is a very proud Nigerian, so even out of form, I think he would have still gone to the Africa Cup of Nations, which means we wouldn't have seen him in a Napoli shirt until February. That means Andrea Petania and Dries Mertens will have to carry the load in the meantime. Some people are saying we need to sign a striker in January. I would be shocked if that happened, and I'm sure the anti-ADL crew would lose their minds if we don't sign anyone, but it really doesn't make much sense to me. Whether we sign someone in January or not, we still have to play against Lazio, Sassuolo, Atalanta, and Milan before January. We were already planning on being without Victor in January, and not too many people were saying that we needed to sign a player for January before he got hurt. Finally, finances are still tight and prices are always higher in January, so I'm not expecting any new players that would effectively only play for us for one month. To make matters worse, we also learned on Monday that diagnostic tests on Frank Zamboangisa revealed a distraction of the left adductor, which is in the groin or hip area. Zambo is expected to be out for two to three weeks. So with the UNAS injury, we're going to be without three of the four players that would have played in the Africa Cup of Nations in January. The only player that's still healthy, knock on wood, is Koulibaly. Thankfully, Spalletti is a planner, so whatever he had planned for January, he will have to put into action with immediate effect. So let's move on to the match itself now. I thought there were three distinct phases in the match. I thought the first 20 minutes of the match were really competitive. I was happy to see Napoli pressing high under Gattuso. We sat back a lot against the top clubs. Under Spalletti, we seem to be playing our game regardless of who the opponent is. That phase concluded with Zielinski putting us ahead. Zielinski made a great play first to win the ball from Barella in the midfield and then followed the play before finishing in the top corner. The shot was excellent, especially with the added difficulty of hitting the ball first time as it's coming across his body. That said, he didn't exactly pick the top corner and I think Samir Handanovic could have done better. A young Samir Handanovic would have stopped that shot probably with ease. But I think at his age, his reaction time is just a little bit slower, and I think that's why he got beat there. Zielinski was one of the few Napoli players who I actually thought had a really good match. Insigne got the assist on the goal with a lovely weighted pass to tee up Zielinski. Unfortunately, I thought Insigne was pretty absent from that point up until he came off in the 75th minute. Now, it's tempting to say that perhaps the contract negotiations are affecting his play, Personally, I don't think it has, at least not yet. I think he's just physically exhausted from playing so many minutes. We're seeing that with a lot of the national team players, not just Insigne. We saw that with Barella in this match as well. Insigne is also dealing with a minor knee injury. You can see that he had tape wrapped around his right knee. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we preview the Spartak Moscow match in part 3. That's where the second phase of the match commenced. I thought Inted responded really well after the goal. They took control of the match and never really let it go for the better part of an hour. They began to press us higher and we really struggled to play out of that press. Now, we can point to a few reasons why Inted were so dominant during that stretch, but for me the biggest reason was that we were outnumbered in the midfield. With Inted playing a 3-5-2, when those wingbacks drop, they basically have five midfielders to play against our three. Normally Brozovic and Barella are the players that dominate the Inter midfield. I thought they played well but didn't necessarily dominate. Rather, I think it was the play of the two wingbacks and Hakan Chalanoglu that made the difference. For me, Perisic and Darmian were the two best players on the pitch for either side. I think what also hurt us was Inter's counterattack, which we know is a feature of Inzaghi's system, even going back to his time at Lazio. 
With Zielinski basically playing as a number 10 and Correa dropping, that numerical advantage was only exacerbated on the counter. Correa was another player who I thought played really well, particularly in transition. I think he really exposed Fabian's lack of pace in the midfield. I thought both Fabian and Nguisa had some of their worst performances of the season. I mentioned Nguisa's injury. I'm not exactly sure at what point it happened, so it's possible Nguisa's poor performance was because he was dealing with the injury. And to be clear, I don't think Nguisa was terrible, but he set the bar so high with his previous performances that just an okay performance maybe seems a little worse than it actually was. With Fabian, I think he was just a victim of that numerical disadvantage. I was actually really surprised that Spalletti did not replace either of those two midfielders with Stanislav Lobotka. I think perhaps if Diego Deme was available, he would have made an appearance just to give us a bit more pace in the midfield, which is not something I was expecting to say after this match. But it was a match where, when I look at Napoli's squad, there were more players who I felt didn't show up than those who did, and I think the opposite is probably true of Inter. All three of Inter's goals were scored during this phase, so let's quickly talk about the goals. I mentioned Perisic and Darmian. They were both involved in the first goal. Perisic started the play with a lovely ball to Bastoni where he got behind Di Lorenzo. Bastoni was another player who stood out to me, especially considering he just returned from injury. He played an excellent cross to Darmian at the back post, and Darmian very coolly laid the ball off to Barella, who shot into the hand of Koulibaly. Initially, it looked like the ball might have hit Koulibaly's right arm, in which case it wouldn't have been a penalty because his right arm was across his chest, but the replay appeared to show that the ball actually hit his trailing left arm, hence the penalty was given. I was fine with the penalty call, but I don't understand why Koulibaly was shown a yellow card. We see this a lot in Serie A, where just because VAR gives a penalty, the player is cautioned when it's not necessarily a yellow card offense. Yes, it was a handball, but it was Koulibaly's momentum that caused his arm to swing away from his body. He didn't intentionally stick his arm out to block the shot. If he had that kind of control, he probably would have kept his arm behind his back because it appeared the shot was actually going to miss the target. What I didn't like, though, was that Valeri wasn't terribly consistent with his yellow cards. Late in the match, Edin Dzeko stuck his hand out to block a Mario Rui pass, intentionally no less, and Dzeko was not cautioned. That would have been Dzeko's second yellow, and there was still about 5 minutes left to play, so that could have made a difference at the end of the match. I also thought the yellow card to Osimhen early in the match was a bit harsh considering the nature of the foul and the fact that it was his first foul. Both Osimhen and Koulibaly had to walk the line for the remainder of the match. Back to the penalty though, credit to Chalanoglu, he converted it rather convincingly. Perisic scored the second goal from a corner kick taken towards the near post. I saw some people commenting that Ospina left too much of a gap between himself and the goal. I think his positioning was fine, the keeper has to play the cross. For me, the issue was that Zielinski came off his post when the cross was played. That's a normal reaction to a cross being played, but had he stood his ground, he would have been in a much better position to block the header. Instead, he was left in no man's land and actually put himself in a worse position to block the shot. Shout out to our friend Dom from Napoli Talk for pointing out as well that during the hour or so that Inter were controlling the run of play, we conceded a number of corner kicks and with how good Inter are from set pieces, we kind of had it coming. The third goal was the most clear example of Correa dropping deep to support the counterattack and exposing Fabian's lack of pace, but it wasn't entirely on Fabian. We gave Correa way too much space to carry the ball through the midfield. That would have been a good spot to grab his shirt, take the yellow card for a professional foul, and kill the attack. There was also Mario Rui and David Ospina. 
Personally, I don't think Mario Rui did too much wrong on the play. He probably could have been a little bit tighter on Lautaro, but sometimes those shots sneak through your legs. Finally, I thought Ospina was a little too deep and perhaps cheating a little bit too much towards the near post, but I'm certainly no goalkeeping expert. Generally speaking, I don't blame the keeper too much when the ball ends up in the side netting. I just tip my hat to the shooter. So that was the second phase. The third phase was the final 15 minutes of the match, which was basically when Almas and Mertens came on. I think that moment of brilliance from Mertens gave us a much needed jolt. While Spalletti has been praised for his substitutions, Inzaghi has been criticized for his. He replaced Barella with Di Marco, which makes sense in terms of energy and legs, but probably weakened Inter's midfield. He later replaced Perisic with Satriano, so he took out one of Inter's most experienced players, and replaced him with one of Inter's least experienced players. That gave control of the match back to us, and like in many other matches this season, Inter nearly let another victory slip out of their hands. Merton scored a brilliant goal to make it 3-2. He may be getting older and slower, but this goal shows that he still has plenty to offer. Koulibaly also did really well to win the ball back right before the goal. While I think Inter were the better team on the whole, I think we easily could have stolen a point with those chances we created at the end of the match. I thought the save Handanovic made on Mario Rui was both great and not great at the same time. And what I mean by that is he did well just to keep the shot out, which at the end of the day is his job. Form doesn't really matter, but I think Inter were also rather lucky with how it bounced on the top of the bar and stayed out. Also, Handanovic put himself in a position to make the save, but he wasn't terribly convincing when he got there. Then of course there was the Mertens chance at the end. I said Angisa had a poor match but the play he made to create that chance was absolutely incredible. I know Mertens has to hit the target from there and if he does we probably walk away with a point but he also scored a wonder goal with a shot that more often than not doesn't end up in the back of the goal. At the end of the day though I think a loss was a fair result. That will do for part one. In part two we'll review our latest Primavera match. Welcome to part 2 of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our Primavera match against Torino on Saturday. There were a number of big matches this round. To set the stage, let me quickly run through the table. Roma were top of the table on 20 points, then 2nd through 12th in the table were separated by only 6 points. Fiorentina were on 2nd on 16 points, followed by Juventus on 15 and Torino on 14. Genoa, Empoli and Napoli were all on 13 points. Inter and Cagliari were on 12 points, Spal had 11 points, and Sampdoria and Hellas Verona were on 10 points. A number of those clubs were playing against each other this round, so you could expect the standings to shuffle around. One of those matches was the Derby della Lanterna. Probably the biggest match of the round was 6th place Empoli against 2nd place Fiorentina, and then there was this match. Torino came into this match in fine form, having not lost in 4 straight matches. They tied Genoa and Sassuolo before beating Sampdoria and Spal. They also beat Alessandria in the Coppa Italia in the process. Torino's one weakness so far this season is they haven't performed that well against top half teams. Their two losses so far this season were against Roma and Empoli, and I mentioned the draw to Genoa. The rest of their matches were against teams in the bottom half of the table. Napoli came into this match having failed to win in three consecutive matches in all competitions. We lost 1-0 to Cosenza in the Coppa Italia, though Frustalupi rotated the entire squad for that match. Then we lost 1-0 to Empoli away from home before needing a 94th minute equalizer to draw Sassuolo before the international break. 
So Frusta Lupi was looking to get back on track with this match. Fortunately, Giuseppe Ambrosino recovered from the sprained ankle he sustained against Sassuolo, which kept him out of Italy's U19 squad. Frustalupi also recovered an important player in the midfield. Antonio Vergara returned from a hip injury that caused him to miss the Primavera's last five matches. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Torino lined up in a 4-3-3 with Alberto Milan in goal. Andre Anton and Stefano Reali started at center back. Samuele Angori started at left back and Alessandro Della Valle started at right back. Giorgio Savini started in the center of the midfield with Matthew Garbett to his left and Tommaso Di Marco to his right. Mattia Lamarca started on the left wing. Lado Akalaya started on the right wing. And Thibaut Bayaten started at striker. Frustalupi didn't make any changes to the squad he fielded against Sassuolo. He lined up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation with Hubert Dasiak in goal. Benedetto Barba started in the center of the back three with Davide Costanzo to his left and Daniel Hisai to his right. Alessandro Spavone and Colisacco started in the center of the midfield with Francesco De Marco on the left and Matteo Marchisano on the right. Antonio Cioffi and Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the two trequartisti and Giuseppe Ambrosino started at striker. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. This match was action-packed from the opening kickoff. Torino got the first chance in the third minute from a throw-in. Baiten carried the ball into the area from the right wing and fired on target. Even though the shot was from a tight angle, it would have found the top corner had Idasic not been there to push the shot over the bar. Baiten looks like a real talent. He was a constant threat whenever he got the ball. Napoli responded with a great opportunity a few minutes later. We played an in-swinging cross from the right wing. Trophy won the header in front of goal and it looked like he was going to score his second goal of the season but somehow Milan kept it out. The Azzurini didn't drop their heads, quite the contrary. Napoli opened the scoring on the ensuing corner kick. Trophy played a short corner before receiving the return pass and cutting it back to Baraba. He struck the ball first time and hit the target but Milan made the save. Unfortunately for Torino fans, Milan spilled the rebound and Hisai was waiting on the doorstep to put Napoli ahead. That was the defender's first goal of the season. Torino responded well though in the 13th minute by 10 won a free kick just outside the Napoli area. Angori took the corner beautifully but his shot crashed off the bar and stayed out. The rebound fell for Savini but his shot was blocked for a corner kick. Just like Napoli did 5 minutes prior, Torino took advantage of their corner and scored in a very similar fashion. Angori played a direct corner into the area. Baiten rose up to win the header but his shot was stopped by Idasiak. Just like Milan though, Idasiak spilled a rebound and defender Anton was waiting to tap in the equalizer into the empty goal. Torino should have gone ahead just past the midway point of the half again from a corner kick. The outswinging corner bounced through the area to Garbet. His shot was blocked by Barba and fell to Akalaya in front of the goal, but somehow he missed the target. Torino came close again in the 37th minute with Akalaya making a run down the left wing. He cut the ball back to Lamarca who beat Idasiak, but Costanzo was there to clear the ball off the line. Costanzo stayed down for a while. It looked like he might have rolled his ankle blocking that shot. He tried to play through it, but a few minutes later he had to come off and was replaced by Musa Mane. Credit to Mane though, he did an excellent job deputizing for the Azzurini captain. In fact, our entire backline played well, which is a feature of Frustalupi's Napoli. I thought Hisai and Barba were both very, very good in this match. So the first half ended 1-1, but Torino were certainly the more aggressive side, and they were creating the better chances. Torino continued to push forward at the start of the second half. Both Di Marco and Lamarca had shots hit the target, 
but both times they were straight at Idasiak. That second chance was in the 59th minute and Napoli immediately countered. Torino were able to defend the initial attack but Sacco made a great play to muscle substitute Alessio Rosa off the ball in the Torino half. That started another attack with Sacco playing the ball out wide to D'Agostino. He picked out Chofi with a deep ball into the area. Chofi head the ball back across the face of the goal but it hit the bar and stayed out. Fortunately Ambrosino was there to tap in his 6th goal of the campaign. Curiously, all three of the goals were tap-ins from close range. Needing to score, Torino continued to push forward, but as was the case throughout the match, even though Torino had more of the ball, when Napoli created chances, we looked dangerous. Our next chance came in the 69th minute, again from a corner kick won by Trophy. Trophy was really good once again. After missing so much time with COVID, I think he's finally returned to form. Trophy took the corner and again went short, but this time D'Agostino squared the ball to Marquisano who crossed the ball into the area. Torino did not do well at all to clear the ball out. It bounced off of Della Valle and fell for Sacco in front of the goal, but Milan pounced quickly to make the save. In the 74th minute, Frustalupi replaced D'Agostino with Antonio Vergara, who made his first appearance since September 18th, so that was great to see. Clearly, Frustalupi's plan was to protect the lead. He also replaced Ambrosino with Giovanni Mercurio, which gave us fresh legs to chase those clearances. Ambrosino had a scary moment just prior to coming off. He was chasing down a clearance and slipped just as Reali was going up for the header. It looked like Reali's knee caught Ambrosino on the head as he was falling, but thankfully, both players walked away unscathed. Torino seemed to run out of steam for the final 15 minutes of the match and then suddenly woke up for the final few minutes. First, Rosa played a cross into the area from the left wing. Bayatin won the header over Mane, but the ball finished just wide of the far post. Then in the 94th minute, Bayatin played the ball to substitute Luigi Cacava in the area. He received the pass with his back to goal, turned and fired a low shot on target, but Idasic made a fantastic save to protect the lead. That was Torino's final chance of the match as Napoli hung on for a huge victory away from home. With the win, Napoli moved into a tie with Empoli and Fiorentina for second in the table on 16 points. That's because Empoli beat Fiorentina 2-0. We also got help from Milan who shocked Juventus with a 3-1 victory. Just to put that into perspective, coming into this round, Milan were second from the bottom on 5 points and Juventus were third from the top on 15 points. Finally, Sampdoria won the derby with Genoa to put themselves right in the mix on 13 points. That will do for part 2. In part 3, we'll preview our match against Spartak Moscow on Wednesday. Welcome to part 3 of the Fort Sinopoli podcast. 
We'll close the pod with a quick preview of our match against Spartak Moscow on Wednesday. This is a rare Wednesday afternoon Europa League fixture, which, as far as I understand, is because Lokomotiv Moscow play in Russia on Thursday. Actually, they play another Italian team in Lazio. Spartak and Lokomotiv don't play in the same stadium, but I'm guessing this is more for logistical reasons given they play in the same city. Just to refresh everyone's memory, we're currently sitting at the top of the table in Group C, but only three points separate us at the top of the table from Spartak at the bottom. So this group is still wide open, but because there are only two matches remaining in the group stage, there is one combination of results that would guarantee Napoli top of the group, and that's a Napoli win and a Legia Leicester draw. Otherwise, the group will be decided on the final match day of the group stage, which is on December 4th. As far as domestic play goes, Spartak have really struggled lately in the Russian Premier League. They have failed to record a victory in five consecutive matches, including suffering a 7-1 thrashing at the hands of Zenit St. Petersburg. Spartak and Legia have been anomalies this season. They've performed really poorly in their respective leagues, but they play reasonably well in the Europa League. Now, earlier in the week, there were reports that Napoli were trying to move this match to a neutral venue over concerns about COVID, which sounds like a very De Laurentiis thing to do. One of the Russian club's directors responded, saying that Spartak are concerned about COVID cases with Napoli and that they are following the health checks that are being carried out. In the end, UEFA spoke to both Napoli and the Russian Football Federation and decided that the match will be played in Russia. According to the forecast, it will be quite frigid. The forecast is calling for snow and the temperature is expected to be minus 5 degrees Celsius. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. For Spartak, I'm expecting them to field the same squad that they fielded against Leicester City in their 1-1 draw. They lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Alexander Sekulov in goal. Georgi Zikia started in the center of the back three with Samuel Guizot to his left and Maximiliano Kafriez to his right. Ayrton Lucas started at left wing back and Victor Moses started at right wing back. Ruslan Litvinov, Mikhail Ignatov and Roman Zobonin started in the center of the midfield. Finally, Alexander Sobolev and Quincy Promes started up top. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti will be working with a very limited squad for this match. Diego Demme, Matteo Politano and Alessandro Zanoli are all still out due to covid Aramunas, Frank Zamboanguisa, and Victor Osimhen are all out due to injury, and Lorenzo Insigne will not travel with the club while he deals with a minor knee injury. According to Tuesday's training report, he has overload tendinopathy in his right knee. I suspect that they're keeping him out for precautionary reasons ahead of another big match at the weekend against Lazio. So with so many players missing, four Primavera players are traveling to Russia. Hubert Dasek will be the third goalkeeper. Benedetto Barba has been called up, I presume to be a backup fullback, even though he actually plays in a back three with the Primavera. Antonio Trophy has been called up to be a backup winger. As I mentioned in part two, he is back in form. And Giuseppe Ambrosino has been called up to be a backup striker. He now has five goals and three assists in nine appearances for the Primavera this season. So I think all of them deserve their call-ups. That said, I doubt any of them will feature in the match. I think we'll see Alex Meret start in goal. Even though Kostas Manolas is back in the squad, I think Amir Rachmani and Kaladu Koulibaly will start. And perhaps Manolas will come off the bench at some point. I'm going to go with a Juan Jesus to start over Mario Rui at left back just to give Mario Rui a rest ahead of the Lazio match. I also think Jesus deserves the start for how he's played 
when he's been called upon. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will probably start at right back because he starts every match. Stanislav Lobotka should fill in for Frank Zamboangisa in the double pivot alongside Fabian Ruiz. With Insigne out, I think Elif Almas will start on the left wing and Chuki Lozano will start on the right wing. Piotr Zelinski should start in the number 10. And I think Andrea Petagno will start at striker to keep Dries Mertens fresh for Lazio. When you remove the Primavera players and goalkeepers, we have only four legitimate substitutions. Three of them are defenders in Malqui, Manolas, and Mario Rui. The other is Dries Mertens in attack. Unfortunately, this means a number of players will probably have to play the full 90 minutes and then play again against Lazio, which really doesn't bode well for us. So those are the starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. My first key to the match is we need to watch out for Spartak's star players. Spartak may be struggling in the Russian league, but they have some devastating players in the attack. I thought Victor Moses was the man of the match in our last meeting. Quincy Promis scored a brace in that match. Moses was also good in Spartak's first match against Leicester City. He had two assists in that match, and that time Alexander Sobolev scored a brace. Spartak ultimately lost that match, which was in Russia, but they managed to hold Leicester to a draw in the return fixture in England. Moses scored the lone Spartak goal in that match. He also conceded a penalty, but was fortunate that Jamie Vardy failed to convert it. So Moses, Promes, and Sobolev are all players we need to keep an eye on. My second key to the match is that we have to play smart, and this is a key I've used previously in similar circumstances. We're playing with a very short bench, and we have an important match coming up at the weekend. Realistically, I don't think any of our Primavera players will get any significant minutes unless we have a very comfortable lead. Otherwise, we may see them get a few minutes near the end of the match, but that's about it. As I mentioned, three of our substitutes are defenders, which means Lobotka, Fabian, and Zelinski, as well as two of Elmas, Petania, and Lozano will probably have to play the full 90 minutes. Which of those two will depend on how the match is going. What that means is we'll need these guys to conserve energy while they're on the pitch because many of them will have to play again against Lazio. We should have Insignia back for that match which frees Elmas to play as an additional midfielder. Hopefully we'll have Demet back as well and perhaps even Politano but you just never know with COVID. My final key to the match is somewhat related to the first one and that's that we need to defend the cross from the right wing. Perhaps it's just a coincidence, but a number of goals that Spartak have scored so far in the tournament have come from the right side, often with a low ball cut back from the byline, but they can also beat you in the air. The reason this key is related to the first one is because typically it's Victor Moses who's either attacking from the right side or receiving the cross from the right side, so if you achieve the first key, we might just achieve this one as well. That might actually be an argument for starting Mario Rui instead of Juan Jesus because Mario Rui has more pace, but for me we need to save him for Serie A. I suppose we could also move Di Lorenzo to the left and start Malquia right back, but Malquia just got back from a long absence due to injury so I'm not quite sure how many minutes he has in his legs. Personally, I would still take the risk and go with Juan Jesus. While a win would be great, I would not be terribly upset with a draw, and frankly, I wouldn't even be upset with a loss. All that would mean is that we'd need to win our final match of the group stage against Leicester City to advance. Now, that's obviously easier said than done, and I know a lot of people would be devastated if we were eliminated from the Europa League, but if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know my view on this, which is that we should try to win the Europa League, but not at the expense of Serie A. 
A top four finish in Serie A is far more important to me than making a deep run in this tournament with no guarantees that we'll win it. If we get to the quarterfinals or semifinals, then I would take it much more seriously because at that point, the potential financial rewards are much more worthwhile. And of course, the winner of the Europa League automatically qualifies for the Champions League. I feel even more strongly about this view given the injury crisis that we currently find ourselves in. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw and I'll give the goals to Piotr Zielinski and Alexander Sobolev. This match reminds me a lot of the penultimate match of the group stage in last year's Europa League against Azed Alkmaar where we needed a result but we were ravaged by injuries. To be honest, I wouldn't be shocked if we lost this match either. I think this will be a match that Napoli played not to lose rather than to win. Not only do we not want to lose this match, we also don't want to lose any more players because we simply cannot afford that at the moment. We're going to be playing a lot of guys who do not have a whole lot of chemistry together and will be playing in the cold, so I think we're going to have a hard time scoring goals. But hopefully we pull out the win and hopefully Legia and Leicester draw because if we top the group, I would literally play the kids in the final match against Leicester City. That will do for this preview. I hope you enjoy the match. That will also do for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoly Pod. I'll be back later in the week to review this match and to preview our next one against Lazio. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre! Sports Social Podcast Network.